From CPRI and the CPRI Knowledge Hub, this is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research in education. Today, we look at universal pre-K, offered in cities across the U.S. to provide increased access to quality early childhood education. A new study centered in Boston, however, finds that disadvantaged families may be less likely to apply and enroll in those programs. We found that the students who don't apply to the pre-K program were more likely to be from disadvantaged populations. The non-appliers were more likely to live in neighborhoods with higher poverty rates, with more renters, with lower levels of educational attainment, and higher unemployment. We welcome the University of Michigan's Anna Shapiro and Christina Weiland, co-authors of the study which examined the demographics and enrollment behavior of thousands of Boston students. They join us to discuss their findings and some important implications for early childhood policy, engagement, and future research. You know, oftentimes the reason that we put these programs in place is that we are hoping to reduce disparities between more advantaged and less advantaged families, and that it might take really intentional attention to who's accessing programs, who's not, and why to really get there. That's right now on Research Minutes. Hello and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Keith Miller, Managing Editor of the CPRI Knowledge Hub. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Anna Shapiro, PhD candidate with the University of Michigan School of Education. Thanks so much for joining us, Anna. Thanks so much. And we also have Christina Weiland, Associate Professor with the University of Michigan School of Education. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having us. So we were originally hoping to have this chat in person during the Spring 2020 Conference for SHRI, the Society for Research on Educational Effectiveness. But like so many other great events this year, the in-person portion of that conference had to be canceled and a number of sessions are now moving into the, the digital sphere. So we thought it was a great opportunity to speak with you both remotely and highlight one of the more thought-provoking pieces of research that we saw at Shree. It's your recent study, which was co-authored with the University of Michigan's Eleanor Martin and MDRC's Rebecca Unterman, titled, If You Offer It, Will They Come? Patterns of Application and Enrollment Behavior in a Universal Pre-Kindergarten Context. Uh, it was recently published in AERA Open, and it offers a unique look at who and who doesn't enroll in universal pre-K. To start, Chris, for those who may not be familiar, could you give us some context on how and why we're seeing this push for public preschool here in the U.S.? So the push for public preschool really comes from a couple different sources. One of those is what we know from science, and the others, I would say, have to do with what parents need and what they want for their four-year-olds. So from a science perspective, we know from decades of research that preschool really helps prepare children for kindergarten. Compared to their peers who don't go to preschool, the kids who do have stronger language skills, better math skills, and better socio-emotional skills than kids don't. And our parents today, they overwhelmingly are working and they want safe spaces where their kids can learn and be happy and grow. And for many parents, that means that their top preference is that their child, when they're four years old, is in a high-quality preschool program. But the trouble is a lot of parents aren't able to access those experiences without public support that our public preschool programs provide. A lot of low- and middle-income families just can't afford it um, on their own. 
And so that's why nationally we have these large income gaps in access to preschool and why we see a push that comes from policymakers, from district leaders and school districts, and from parents themselves. And Anna, I'm curious what it was that drew you both to this specific line of research. Um, Did you have any indication that certain populations were not enrolling in universal pre-K or were there maybe gaps in the research that you were trying to fill in? Yeah, so we felt like this work was important for the field because a lot of cities and states are expanding their pre-K programs. And we know from data compiled by the National Institute for Early Education Research that in the few states where public pre-K has enough capacity to enroll all interested four-year-olds, that the enrollment in that pre-K still lags behind public K-12 enrollment. And so we also know that even among this small group of states that have enough capacity to accommodate all of the interested families, that the enrollment rates really vary. So in Georgia, for example, the take-up rate is only around 60%, but in Washington, D.C., that take-up rate is closer to 90%. So while we know some information about the kind of take-up rates overall for these programs that have enough capacity, we really don't know much about which families are choosing to participate in public pre-K. And so we had the opportunity to add some new evidence on this missing piece using data from Boston and um, the work that Chris has been doing with uh, the Boston Public Schools. In this study, you examined the behavior of the significant majority of kindergarten age students who enrolled in a traditional public school in Boston between 2008 and 2011. Could you give us an overview of your approach to this work and the questions you were hoping to answer? So in our study years, the Boston Public Schools could accommodate about half of their kindergarten cohort in the pre-K program. And so we would expect to find that a lot of kindergarten students in Boston hadn't been in the pre-K program. But even though there weren't enough slots for all of the kindergarten students to enroll in pre-K, all of the families of these students could have applied to pre-K. So our study was motivated by an interest in understanding the differences in the characteristics of those families who did and did not apply to the pre-K program. And this is really driven by an understanding that equity in Boston pre-K enrollment really starts with equity and application to the program. So we followed two cohorts of Boston kindergarten students who enrolled in the fall of 2008 and 2009, which is about 8,400 students. And we focused on those kindergarten students because these are the students whose families chose Boston public schools for K-12 which we think represents a population that's also likely to choose the Boston public schools for pre-K. So our analysis approach was pretty simple because we wanted to know how the kindergarten students who did apply to the pre-K program differed from the kindergarten students who didn't. So we estimated the differences in the means of individual, neighborhood, and school characteristics between these two groups. And we also had access to really unique data on the type of early care that students were enrolled in if they hadn't gone to BPS pre-K. And this gave us the opportunity to look at differences in these characteristics within the non-applier students so we could compare kids who had um, enrolled in a private pre-K program or maybe another public program like Head Start or had not been in any center-based program. And so we looked at a lot of different student and neighborhood and school characteristics, um, student characteristics like race and ethnicity or eligibility for subsidized lunch and neighborhood characteristics like demographic composition and employment rates. And then we also used um, geographic information software to identify neighborhood hotspots of appliers and non-appliers in the city, which was an opportunity for us to look at spatial variation and application rates. And this is really actionable information for Boston public schools. 
And then finally, we looked at differences in the characteristics of the schools that these students enrolled in for kindergarten through third grade, because we wanted to get a sense of whether choosing not to apply to pre-K has what we're calling a downstream effect on the type of elementary school that a student attends. So uh, before jumping into the results, Chris, uh, I wanted to ask if there's anything we should know about the Boston pre-kindergarten program or how it operates that might impact how students apply and enroll. Sure. So I'll start with the part around what we should know about the Boston pre-kindergarten program as we interpret these results. So the Boston program is unusual in our national landscape of public preschool programs. It treats teachers like K-12 teachers in terms of pay and educational requirements. So that means in Massachusetts that these teachers have to have a master's degree in five years. It also uses proven play-based but intentional curricula. These curricula were designed by experts who really know how early skills in language literacy and math develop across the four-year-old year. So this is the kind of program that we would want students to access. And indeed, we have research on the program that shows that children who experience it have uh, substantial benefits on their kindergarten readiness skills. So that's the first thing to know is that uh, you would care about accessing this program because it appears to work. Um, And it works even better for children whose families are lower income. So those are the families that in lots of data we see benefit the most from these programs, and that's true in Boston as well. So in terms of how it operates in ways that might impact how students apply or enroll, the program is open to any child in the city when they're four years old, um, regardless of income or risk factors. It is advertised throughout the city. There are a lot of public events that the district and the city put on to reach families and to um, inform them on how to apply to it and when. And the district, by policy, has to give equal attention to each neighborhood in terms of advertising. So it's not targeted by design in terms of the advertising or um, in terms of who's eligible. Students also, to access the program, have to go through a lottery process to get a seat in which you tell us which school you would most like to attend, and there is more demand than supply. So these two factors in terms of um, how program operations might impact how students apply or enroll are really interesting, right? So we have the lottery application process, which is a system used by a lot of big cities around the country, and this policy that neighborhoods need equal attention in terms of outreach um, in this context. So these both were things that we hypothesize might be barriers that lead to why certain families don't apply to the program, but we do see them show up in kindergarten the next year. So it's not as simple as just walking up to a school and enrolling. And uh, it also might take more advertising and more targeting to get particularly harder to reach families into the program. This week's episode of Research Minutes is supported in part by EdChoice. EdChoice is a nonpartisan, nonprofit group committed to researching and teaching people about school choice across America. You can be the first to learn about their new research, cool schools spotlights, and state policy updates by subscribing to their podcast, EdChoice Chats. They post weekly, and most episodes are under 30 minutes, which is great if you're short on time. You can also follow them on social media at EdChoice. Finally, check out their website, edchoice.org, for everything you need to know about educational choice, properly sourced and cited. And now we return to our interview with Anna Shapiro and Christina Weiland.
so from there, I'd, I'd love to jump into your results. Um, your team came away with a number of different findings, including that students who didn't apply for Boston pre-K were more likely to be non-white, bilingual, and from low-income families. Uh, Anna, could you walk us through what you learned? So we found that the students who don't apply to the pre-K program were more likely to be from disadvantaged populations kind of writ large. So for example, the non-appliers were less likely to be white or Asian, but more likely to be black, and they were more likely to qualify for subsidized meals. And we also found um, variation in which neighborhoods in the city um, were hotspots for appliers or non-appliers, um, which we show um, kind of visually in the paper to demonstrate the spatial variation in where the students live who do and do not apply. And then we compared the neighborhood characteristics of those groups based on this kind of spatial pattern that we had detected. And we found uh, similar patterns to what we found at the student level, which is that the non-appliers were more likely to live in neighborhoods with higher poverty rates, with more renters, with lower levels of educational attainment, and higher unemployment. Interestingly, when we dug into the non-applier group and we compared students who didn't apply but had gone to different types of alternate care instead of BPS pre-K, we found that those non-appliers who enrolled in private school were more advantaged than even the appliers. But the non-appliers who didn't enroll in any center-based care were particularly likely to be from disadvantaged backgrounds and were also the most likely to be from non-English speaking or dual language homes. And then finally, we found that the percent of kindergarten students who applied to pre-K really does vary by BPS school for elementary and that the characteristics of those schools differ in the same ways as the student and neighborhood characteristics. So given this growing acceptance we're seeing among policymakers and other stakeholders across the political spectrum of the importance of early childhood education, I'm curious what you think the implications of your work might be, Chris. So we know that it really takes a lot to build these coalitions to fund public preschool in a given place. And then it also takes a lot to make the program itself really high quality to be the kind of place that families um, really want their children to be in. So it's not really a surprise that this question of, um, okay, so we've, we've made this great program, we've made it available to a lot of families, who isn't signing up now that that question has been a little farther down the road. We hope that districts and researchers will take away from this Boston example, uh, the fact that you know, oftentimes the reason that we put these programs in place is that we are hoping to reduce disparities between more advantaged and less advantaged families, and that it might take really intentional attention to who's accessing programs, who's not, and why to really get there and to narrow the kindergarten readiness gap um, disparities we see between more advantaged and less advantaged kids. So, the kinds of analysis that we were able to undertake in Boston around geographic mapping of application patterns in particular, we think is promising for cities to help them better target limited resources into digging into who isn't enrolling and why. And we hope, too, that the next phase of this research will involve really speaking to families who apply and who don't to understand what led them to those decisions. We really need rich, qualitative data on this topic as well to really um, understand why families don't apply and how to address any barriers so that they, uh, if they want to, that, that their children can access high-quality preschool when they're four years old. And my final question for you, Anna, is um, do you think that there are opportunities here for future research, either for your team or others who are working in this area? Um, I'm sure recent developments where 
you know, so many schools and pre-K programs have changed so radically as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic might drive a wide range of questions going forward. Yeah, so um, we hope that researchers and other policymakers will look at these questions in um, other cities and states that have expanding pre-K programs. And we know of a number of colleagues that are doing just that across the country, which is really exciting. Um, and in Boston, we're also hoping to do a similar analysis with more recent cohorts of, of students that's part of an ongoing study with colleagues at MDRC, Harvard, and the Boston Public Schools. And I think in light of kind of recent events with the closing of businesses and you know the kind of shuttering of the economy due to COVID-19, um, we're seeing some pretty strong evidence that one of the sectors that is likely to be very strongly impacted by this is the childcare market. Just kind of a lot of anecdotal evidence that child cares across the country are facing um, the likelihood that they are going to close and never be able to reopen. And so if we think about access to public pre-K through school-based programs like the Boston Public Schools program, it might be particularly important that we start getting more information about who isn't applying to these programs if these are the more stable programs that are likely to weather this economic impact of COVID-19. And so you know, when we initially did this study, that certainly wasn't something that was on the horizon of things that we expected as developments for the early childhood landscape. But I think um, the findings from our study can can really highlight the need to get a better understanding of which families are applying to these different types of early care options, especially when we know that the school-based ones are likely to be um, more stable in the future. And it might also point to ways that we would really need to and want to shore up childcare as much as we can in the sense that we do see in our data that certain kinds of families are going to community-based preschools in, instead of the public school-based programs. And so we know that community-based programs too can be very effective um, in getting kids ready for kindergarten. And so to the degree that we want to think about a multifaceted sector that gives parents choice, it's going to be really important to look uh, at how to shore that up and make sure that families that were accessing that sector are still able to do so um, after the storm passes a bit with this crisis. Well, once again, this is just fascinating work that you produced here. And I encourage all of our listeners to go and read your full article. Again, it's titled, If You Offer It, Will They Come? Patterns of Application and Enrollment Behavior in a Universal Pre-Kindergarten Context. And it was recently published in AERA Open. And for those who want to catch up on more digital discussions of papers from the Sheree Spring 2020 conference, you can visit sree.org. Christina Weiland and Anna Shapiro, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Keith. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRI Knowledge Hub. For more episodes or to subscribe to the series, you can find us at researchminutes.org. To share your thoughts on today's episode or suggest future topics, follow us on Twitter at CPRE Hub. That's C P R E 